You're listening to Boat Radio. I'm John Herlig. Three years ago in a boatyard in Reedville, Virginia in the United States, I came across an old sun-bleached boat named Ave Del Mar. I learned that long before she became mine, she had sailed around the world. She's been through the Panama and Suez canals, has cruised in the sunny Mediterranean, and has rounded the infamous Cape Horn. Now she's begun a new journey with me. This is Postcards from Sea, and this is where I share stories of the people and places I encounter as Ave Del Mar and I sail the world together. Say what you want now. Time goes forward, go and catch your jet, you will find your moment. Welcome to Postcards from Sea. I'm John Hurley, recording today from Belle Isle, Miami Beach, Florida. Um, recording a short episode for you today in case I don't get a chance to record a new one in the Bahamas in time for my next show. It is currently Tuesday morning, the 17th of January, 2017. Um, and I have a show due next Monday. And I'm not really confident that I'm going to be able to make the Bahamas, record a show, get to land, find Wi-Fi, and get it uploaded. So I thought I'd talk for a second just about what I'm going through to try to prepare for my departure from the States and to sail eastward toward the Bahamas. A little background information first. I'm in, I guess this is the uh, fringes of Biscayne Bay, Miami, to to my west would be Miami proper, Miami, Florida, just to my east, Miami Beach, and a stone's throw south of that, South Beach, the very famous South Beach in Miami. Lots of background noise out here. Uh, The Miami airport's very busy. There are jets going over constantly. There are leaf blowers on shore cleaning up grass clippings. So it's it's noisy out there. Uh, Nothing perhaps quite as noisy as the trains going through West Palm. I want to offer apologies for each one as they come and go, but uh, just so you know, there's a lot going on out there. It's also a relatively busy anchorage. This is um, right off of Government Cut, which is a very popular staging cut in the Miami area to leave for the Bahamas, or to leave to go outside and go south down to the Florida Keys, which I'm not doing, but certainly a number of people are. So there are, Lord, don't ask me how many sailboats anchored here where I'm anchored. Just the answer would be a lot. Uh, And it seems to be somewhat evenly divided between local either liveaboard slash not quite derelict vessels and cruisers who are underway and have stopped here for shore access, get to the grocery store, get fuel and all those things. Um, My general plan, as of right now, Tuesday morning the 17th, is to finish preparations today and uh, shove off for the Bahamas early tomorrow morning, Wednesday the 18th of January. Now, the first leg of my trip is going to take me from Miami to the Berry Islands, Great Harbor Key. Uh, Great Harbor Key would be right about 125 nautical miles from where I'm anchored. 
Uh, I'll sneak out of my anchorage this evening and anchor a little bit closer to the cut to try to take some time off of my departure in the morning. But give or take, it's it's a solid 24 or more hours of sailing in the a mile here, a mile there, aren't going to make a tremendous difference. Um, I left West Palm Beach, what, I guess, two-ish weeks ago? Does that sound about right? Um, with my friend Chris, as I mentioned in the last episode when I was talking to Mark Firestone, my friend Chris joined me for the trip. We were going to sail down to Miami, to actually right here where I am. Uh, but the weather was just right on our nose, doing a lot of what it wasn't supposed to do, and we couldn't make Miami, so we peeled off at Fort Lauderdale. Chris went back home on the train. I kind of hung out in Fort Lauderdale in Lake Sylvia, which was nice. Had a chance to catch up with an old friend from Washington, D.C. who was in Florida on vacation. You know, I've seen more people on the boat in Florida, thousands of miles from my home, than I think I ever saw on my boat when I was living half an hour from where everybody lived. I get here and all of a sudden I seem to see people left and right. But that's a great thing. When you're a vagabond and you still get visitors... Life is good. So I left Fort Lauderdale a couple, three days ago, whenever it was, stayed inside on the Intracoastal Waterway because the Atlantic Ocean is still very churned up. Uh, Winds, strong winds out of the east and northeast, which just uh, push against the current, counter to the current, and whip the seas up. They're, They're disorganized, they're steep, they're choppy, and... And they're not what we elect to sail in. They can really beat you up. I got just a little hint of that on the way down, although I didn't actually have wind opposite current on the way down. <clears throat> Pardon me. So regardless, I came down from Fort Lauderdale to Miami inside in the Intracoastal Waterway. It was a relatively short, all things being equal, easy trip. Um, there are a lot of bridges on this stretch of the Intracoastal Waterway because it's a very... Uh, densely populated area, so there are a lot of roads, and not all of those bridges are high enough that you can just duck under them. Many, if not most of them, are drawbridges, so you have to wait. Um, Some have a schedule, and you have to wait for their scheduled opening time. A few open on demand, where you get to just call, and they open for you. Um, That might have been one or two of the ten or so bridges that I passed through on my way south. Bridge is not so bad. You get to talk to the bridge tenders. Most of them are very nice. Uh, A few of them are understandably cranky. I just can't really imagine having to deal with an intracoastal waterway full of South Florida boaters all day long. I would probably be much crankier than they are. Um, And a couple just sound like they've kind of flipped their lid. (laughs) But that, I suppose, is their struggle with life, not so much their struggle as a bridge tender. Uh, made it down here, anchored, actually got a visit the other day here in Miami, off Miami Beach, from my brother-in-law, who was up in uh, western Florida taking care of his mother, and decided to make a day trip down, which was very nice. We hung out, had a couple of beers, caught up, chit-chatted, and got one more uh, farewell hug. I don't know how many that is now. I've, I've lost count. I keep saying so long and so long and so long and so long again to the people that I know and love here who are staying behind. But uh, that was very nice. Um, and then I, uh, I'm at anchor uh, in Biscayne Bay off Bell Isle. Uh, busy stretch. There goes a little dinghy motoring by outside. Um, and have just been basically waiting for the weather to turn. When I first left West Palm Beach, 
the idea had been that if Christopher and I could make Miami, there was coming up after that a nice fat three or so day window, as we call it, that would allow me to sail east. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, and of course it, it just makes sense, um, we refer to uh, viable weather that that comes in, in chunks in our future as weather windows. So if it's windy today and tomorrow, that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the winds are predicted to be low enough and in the correct direction, and, you know, sea state is not considered to be something that would be contrary to a safe passage, we would refer to that as a weather window. I know a lot of you already know that, but, you know. Um, so, that may or may not have worked out great, but it didn't work out, so it doesn't really matter at this point. With the weather being worse than we expected underway, we didn't make Miami. I got to Fort Lauderdale, where I was just exhausted to the core and spent a day or two drying out some things that had gotten wet, resting, recovering, organizing the boat. I had uh, one locker that uh, has a stanchion, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, uh, stanchion, a little one of the one of the uh, the railings that holds up the lifeline up on the deck of the boat, and the uh, uh, stanchion took a lot of water cascading over it during that rough trip south from Fort Lauderdale. And this particular one, apparently, the uh, caulking, the bedding on it was old and was allowing water through. And I opened up one of my lockers up in my bedroom there, and everything in it was just drenched to the core. So, um, the boat was wet, I was soggy, things were disorganized, I was tired. It took me a couple of days to kind of rest up, recover, dry out, reorganize, um, more properly stow some things that I hadn't stowed that well, and at that point, that weather window had closed. So, I hung out in Fort Lauderdale, waiting for better, better weather to come my way, um, and kind of just trying to keep an eye on that moving forward. One of the many ways that we get weather when you're in my scenario is to listen to the SSB radio, single sideband radio. For anyone who has no idea, <clears throat> uh, just think shortwave, basically, like ham radio, and in, in you're in the right basic ballpark. So with this radio, which is temperamental, mine named Glinda, after Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz, because I think that SSB radios are somewhat science, but somewhat witchcraft, but ultimately good. <clears throat> so mine got named Glinda. Um, but if you, uh, if you drag your butt out of bed by 6.30 in the morning and listen to 4.045 megahertz, you get to listen to Chris Parker, who is sort of the weather god for cruisers off the eastern coast of the United States, Caribbean, and, and all through there, Bahamas. And he comes on, um, well, he comes on earlier than that and does a Caribbean forecast and then goes to the Bahamas around 6.30 or at whatever point after 6.30 he's finished with his uh, prior business. And we listen to him and he, he talks about what's going on and what's predicted to come up, um, how things look for crossings, for cruising in certain directions, in certain areas, and those who pay him an annual fee uh, have a subscription and can call in on the radio and ask very specifically, Chris, I'm going from this point to that point, either hoping to do it on such and such a day, what, do you, what does it look like, or what days do you think look good if I want to go from point A to point B. Uh, and we cheapskates who don't pay 
might sometimes wish we did, but more often than not, between his forecast uh, and these subscribing vessels calling in to get information, we can sort of garner from that what we need to know. So I sit around a lot in the morning listening to Chris Parker. Uh, some days you can hear him, and some days you can't. You know, I thought it would be sort of funny. This is going to sound like nothing but static, but you get up in the morning as I open my cabinet here, and you turn on Chris Parker on the radio, and it sounds about like this. And I know that's not really a pleasant sound. Um, you never know, again, back to the witchcraft of this radio business, if you're just in a bad spot, if there's something going haywire with your radio, if it is atmospheric conditions, um, propagation. There are two different wavelengths that he broadcasts on because the way those radios work, uh, the, 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 the bandwidth has a lot to do with where it can and can't be heard. And so you sit there and make a pot of coffee and listen to that static and try to figure out whether or not there are any voices in the background of it. Sometimes you hear the voices and have to try to figure out whether or not it's possible that you can understand what they're saying or whether this is just one of the days when the atmospheric gods decided you don't get a weather forecast and you close your weather notes notebook, uh, finish your coffee, and get on about your life. More often than not, you can hear him. Um, and he'll uh, give you that forecast, give you some insight, and tell you what he is witnessing and what he is expecting to come. So, in case you're just joining in, this is Postcards from Sea. I'm John Herlig, and uh, talking about my impending crossing to the Bahamas, which should start tomorrow morning, Wednesday, the 18th of January, 2017, uh, which will be a, a number of days before you hear this, assuming this episode airs next. Um, so, I have a notebook in which I, every day take notes on what Chris Parker says. I can almost always read them because I have a system of notes that works for me. Um, and he just does an amazing job of, of giving us insight and nuances to what's happening with the weather. Currently, that looks like this. A crossing starting tomorrow on the southern route, which would be me. That's about at the latitude that would take you from Miami to Bimini, although I'll be crossing over just north of Bimini and continuing on. Um, Eastbound crossings on the southern route tomorrow look good. Here I am reading my notes. Uh, winds tomorrow southeast, clocking towards the south. Winds calm under 10 knots tomorrow. Seas under two feet, and through Wednesday and Thursday, remaining about the same, but clocking even more south, uh, which is wonderful. If there's any wind, if it's coming from the south, then it's on my beam and I can sail, and I would love to be able to get some legitimate sailing behind me, not have to only motor the whole way. I am completely prepared to motor sail, as in have the sails out to catch the wind, but have the motor on to make sure that I'm making time. Because uh, as my friend Tammy said, when it comes to the Gulf Stream, you don't mess around. You don't mess around with trying to prove anything. You get to the Gulf Stream and you get the heck across it and get on the other side. Um, so Avi's engine is ready to go. I've got fuel galore. Engine's in good shape. I even have 
those two or three things that could be needed on an emergency basis out of the tool cabinet, a spare fan belt, a spare water impeller, and the tools with which to install them. So if I happen to be out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, I guess that's not technically in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, but if I'm out and I can't see land and I'm in the middle of the Gulf Stream, the engine were to die, the most likely two culprits I have um, ready at my fingertips um, because it's a lot of hours of the engine running. And it's a diesel. That's what they're designed to do. But I firmly believe that it is your preparation for the worst-case scenarios that buys you a bit of relief from their actual occurrence. Uh, remind me sometime. I guess you can't remind me. You're just listening. I can't hear you. There is a, a concept called the black box, which is sort of all about sailing and maintenance and karma uh, which is a spectacular thing, and I want to post a link to it to either my uh, my Facebook site or to the Instagram site. It's spectacular. Um, <clears throat> so Chris Parker has us in good shape. That's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Still winds out of the south, picking up a little bit, maybe to the tune of 12 to 15 knots. Uh, with any luck, come Friday, I might be sailing somewhat towards the south. That could get a little bit on my nose. We're going to have to see where I am, what the winds are doing, and how fast my progress is going. Uh, and my intention will be to go from Miami to Great Harbor Key, which is in the Berry Islands, um, south-southeast from there to Nassau, which is where I'd like to clear in. If I can make Nassau, I think I can secure a decent anchorage that will protect me from some south and westerly blows that are coming Sunday, Monday, and a little less so into Tuesday of next week. So generally, that's the plan. And uh, if I have to hide, I hide. If I have to um, ride it out at anchor somewhere, I will. I will keep the ultimate goal of finding the most protected anchorage I can and know that I sort of have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's four solid days to get to someplace, even if I haven't yet cleared in customs, where I can uh, hang the Q flag, the quarantine flag, and stay at anchor as long as I don't go ashore, even if I have to, haven't cleared yet. That would be fine. So that's the ultimate goal, is to not miss the window, get over there, get myself anchored, get safe, clear in at Nassau, top off my fuel, and then get down to the Exuma Island chain, which is my... Not ultimate goal. There is no ultimate goal other than being on the journey. But uh, it would be the next discernible, discernible Bahamian goal that I want to actually achieve for its own right. I want to achieve Great Harbor Key for its anchorage while I'm en route. I want to achieve Nassau so I can clear in customs, get fuel and anchor for a night. Um, but it would be the Exuma chain that I want to achieve for uh, those, cl those you know, clear waters and white beaches and palm trees and blue skies and all that stuff. So that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, I think I mentioned briefly in passing my last episode with Mark Firestone talking about what I call analysis paralysis. I tell you, you wake up every day and look at the weather. You know, I, I still have an iPhone. I'm on land. I have service so I can look at websites, weather forecasts. Sailflow is an app that I use a lot um, while I still have service for wind information, both historically and predictive. Um, and WindyTY, which is a website that shows you a computer model projected wind swells, 
seas, temperature, all these things. It's a spectacular website. But you wake up every day and you look at this stuff. And no matter how much coffee you drink, you reach a point where all this information literally saturates your brain. And you no longer have any idea really what you're looking at. Whether I was going to say whether it's good or bad. Obviously, you can tell what's really good. You can tell what's really bad. But as far as picking out windows, picking out... Um, picking out evolving weather patterns and trends, it gets really, really difficult um, because there's so many nuances, wind direction, waves. You don't want to make stupid decisions. You don't want to be that guy that everybody has to read about in the newspaper. You'd like to be able to come home and visit your parents and your kids again when it's all over. So um, you put a lot of effort into trying to not be that guy that sails off into the storm and never comes back. So it, it'll sort of freeze your brain after a while. You've got to lock it up and go do some other things. But uh, in a nutshell right now, it looks good. Like I said, four solid, beautiful, flat, calm days. Um, Chris Parker specifically said that he would expect the, uh, the Bahamas banks to be just virtually flat. I am perfectly happy to motor. I have not done this crossing before. I've confessed many times on this show that I'm newer to this, being uh, partway through my fourth year of boating, uh, just into my second year of being continually underway um, and making my first actual crossing. So conservative is good. Uh, we'll leave the saltier adventures for for another day when I've got more experience under my belt or for the inevitable, um, those, those salty adventures that come your way unexpectedly that you just have to rise up and meet, uh, akin to my trip south from West Palm to Fort Lauderdale. Perfect example of how you get that experience despite the fact that you're trying nothing but to be conservative along the path. If, uh, if Poseidon and Neptune are smiling at me, then we'll shove off tomorrow morning, make it to the Bahamas, work our way in, find a place, get safe, um, and enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out how to do this responsibly. So that's it for part one. We're going to take a quick break. And when I come back from that break, I will uh, report in to you from the Bahamas and tell you how that crossing went. I'll be right back. Our aim at Street Invest is to put a trustworthy adult into the lives of street children so that they can support them in creating the most positive paths for their lives in the future. We work around the world working on the street with the children where they are. For such a large group of children, the amount of funding available is tiny. Really, the funding that keeps organizations like Street Invest going comes from individual donors. Street children are the most abused, neglected, violated children, yet they are also the most resourceful, responsive and resilient children that we could have the honor of working with. For more information or to make a donation, visit streetinvest.org. Welcome back. This is Postcards from Sea. I'm John Herlig, recording now from Nassau, New Providence Island in the Bahamas. So, spoiler alert, I guess I made it. 
I was uh, talking about all the analysis that went into it prior to leaving. Ended up on Wednesday, no, Tuesday night, the the, the eve of my projected departure. Um, Made it to bed about midnight, waking up Wednesday the 17th about 5 a.m., ready to go. I still had some loose ends to tie up, quite literally just uh, putting a few things away, stowing so things wouldn't go flying around the cabin, put away some dishes that were drying, things like that, and make sure all the, the cabinets and drawers were latched and were ready for some blue water action. But um, the funny thing is, a couple of days prior, I had been almost almost ill with nerves. I was so nervous about the crossing, which I wasn't scared of the crossing. I was just so wound up in the details of it and as I always get so wound up in attempting to be a responsible and good captain of my ship that I damn near made myself ill um, and the funny thing was the the night of the eve of my departure I was just as calm and relaxed as could be I thought I was going to be even worse um, than the days prior but I was just I was ready to go. I'd done what I could. It reminded me a lot of when the hurricane was rolling through when I was in West Palm Beach. I'd done all my preparation. There was nothing left to do. I had uh, I had fulfilled my responsibilities. I was in good shape. And at that point, I was really just left to uh, letting things be what they would be. And it felt a little beyond my control, which is very freeing. So I slept well, albeit briefly, on that night, Tuesday night. Got about five hours sleep. Woke up nice and early Wednesday morning. Um, I had hoped to relocate the boat at anchor the night before, something we call staging, where you might get out of a more protected anchorage, but get yourself anchored much closer to your actual uh, egress from land out into the ocean. That, for me, would be government cut. So I wanted to relocate and be a lot closer to the cut so that I wouldn't spend an hour or two of Wednesday morning still mired in uh, coastal waters trying to get out of Miami. But my uh, tasks ashore on Tuesday just took me too long. By the time I got back to the boat Tuesday night, I decided that I just needed to uh, wrap up business and get to bed, and the hours would be what they would be. Um, Which, much like weather analysis, is just a part of that calculus that you have to make. Um, Yes, the quote-unquote right or responsible thing to do is to get closer to your exit, to your cut, Um, But another right and proper thing to do is to sleep well um, and to look at the passage, what you've got coming. So I was leaving at first light on Wednesday for what was projected to be a 30 to 35 hour passage for me to my anchorage at uh, Great Harbor Key in the Berry Islands in the Bahamas. So this was something that was going to take me from Wednesday morning through Thursday about midday um, if by staying where I was and not re-anchoring, that took me from Thursday at 9 a.m., I mean Wednesday at 9 a.m. to Thursday at 2 p.m. instead of from Wednesday at 7 a.m. to Thursday at noon. Really not uh, not a big difference. It, it wasn't the difference between arriving during light or dark, and it didn't uh, put me in any perilous positions for any parts of the passage. So I decided to just get some sleep, which I did. I slept unreasonably well, very calm, woke up the next morning um, knowing I had a lot to do, but again, just no nerves, 
No, I, I was just doing my thing. It could have just been another passage on the intracoastal in uh, in the United States. If anything, I was probably much more nervous during many of those. So we got it together. I weighed anchor at 719 on Wednesday the 17th, according to my log right here. I had two bra draw bridges to get through. Um, one I made at 7:30 in the uh, the second West Phoenician Bridge. I made at 8 o'clock. Made my way out of the harbor. Um, had my offset calculated. So uh, we have this Gulf Stream off the east coast of the United States. Many of you are probably very familiar with it. Some of you not at all. This is within the Atlantic Ocean. There is basically a river of water a strong current that flows from the south to the north, somewhat roughly parallel to the east coast of the United States. In Florida, it's very close. Well, Bimini is very close. Heck, it's only 45 nautical miles from Miami to Bimini to North Rock. So um, much of that crossing, you are going across a current, which would be pushing you as you're going eastboard. It's pushing you um, from the south to the north or from your starboard to your port side. So what you have to do is obviously sort of aim south so that as you're going a little south and the current's pushing you somewhat north, you end up at your point. This was one of the um, most entertaining parts of my preparation, was hoping that I'd calculated that offset somewhat correctly. I understood it intellectually quite well, had never actually done this in my boat. Everyone's boat behaves differently. Um, and I was just really curious to see how everything was going to react. Where where I was departing Florida, in Miami, the Gulf Coast is really like to within a mile of the shore. So as soon as you get out of the cut and start making way, you're under the influence of that, uh, of that current that's pushing you north. So um, although my destination from Miami, government cut, to North Rock, which would be a... Uh, just a navigational point for me north of Bimini. Um, I want to say that my course there was... Hold on, I'm looking. Uh, my course there was just north of east, so something probably around the 85 degrees or so um, bearing from where I was departing. But because of that influence of the Gulf Stream, I set out from Miami sailing a course of 120 degrees. So uh, that would be east-southeast. Um, and it, it worked well. I maintained 120 degrees pretty much the entire time. Uh, and it was the really only point during my crossing where I, where I really enjoyed having some electronic navigational aids. I was uh, very, very determined to make sure that I plotted my position, used paper charts, did all my calculations on paper, um, but the one thing that you really can uh, get, and I am a firm believer in information and knowledge, one thing you can really get from following those electronic charts is uh, you'll know from your good old-fashioned compass that your your heading is 120 degrees. And then you can uh, check the chart plotter and watch your actual course made good end up being slightly north of east. Um, which is really interesting, fascinating, and uh, it's kind of fun to watch watch the plan come out. So as you get closer to the center of that Gulf Stream, your northward, northward uh, progress or influence is even stronger. You feel like you're even more off course, but I just stuck to my 120 the whole way. And then, of course, as you cross that Gulf Stream, its current ebbs a bit, 
and your 120 becomes a, a greater influence over the influence of the current, and you end up right where you're supposed to. So it worked out well for me. I think that my uh, calculations had my offset actually at 117 degrees. But if you've ever sat in the cockpit of a full keel sailboat with a tiller, uh, anything as precise as 117 is not happening. So uh, 120 I could mark on the compass, and 120 we made. And uh, it got me to Bimini just fine. It was uh, so... As I left the cut, like I said, uh, made the West Venetian Bridge at 8. It was probably 9-ish by the time I made it to the end of government cut and out into the open. Uh, it was 4.21 in the afternoon of that day when I first made uh, contact, visible, visual contact with the island of Bimini. Bimini wasn't my destination, but did certainly mark that I would be entering the great... Bahama Bank. Um, the Great Bahama Bank is basically this gigundous sand bank, which is the Bahamas. Out of this bank sprouts the various uh, uh, Bahamian islands, and when you're not on the islands or in one of the channels, you're over the bank, which means where I had been in, say, 800 uh, or so meters of ocean water, I was suddenly in three meters of water over the banks. It changes how you sail. It changes what your options are. It means you could pull off course a little if you had to and, and drop the anchor and sleep for an hour or two. And it uh, just uh, it, it, it marks a, a very discernible uh, benchmark on your progress. So Bimini came into view about 4.20 in the afternoon. I had lost sight of Miami just a couple hours earlier. The Miami skyline certainly much taller than the Bimini skyline. The Miami skyline stuck with me all the way through about 2.30 in the afternoon. So it was really not even two hours where I was uh, without sight of land or at least buildings that were on land. Um, so Bimini came into view about 4.20. I had been motor sailing or just motoring most of this way. As a matter of fact, I think at this point, I was still just motoring. I had no sails up. The wind was dead on my nose, variable at best anyway. Um, and there was absolutely no sailing possible. But as my friend Tammy taught me very clearly about the Gulf Stream, uh, this is not an area for pride. This is uh, something that the goal is to get across. Get on the other side. This is not an ocean crossing. You don't spend four days getting blown off course and make it up during the, you know, the other three weeks on your trip. This is a, a short day to cross a river of water. The goal is get to the other side, get to the other side safely. And uh, if that means you just put her in gear and go, then you put her in gear and go. And in fact, that's what I had done. So we got across, Bimini came into view, um, around 6 o'clock I went ahead and put my uh, Q flag up. Well, so for anyone who doesn't know, uh, we in foreign waters off of the spreader on your vessel you fly what's called a courtesy flag. This is where after you clear customs and immigration you, you fly a small flag of the country that you've cleared into and you, you fly this off of your spreader on the mast. Off the back of my boat is always my American flag since I am an American registered vessel. Um, prior to clearing customs in Bimini, I wanted to make sure that I could 
anchor if that's what I needed to do and so you fly a solid yellow flag that happens to be the flag that represents the letter Q in the nautical flag alphabet and that's what we fly for quarantine known briefly as the Q flag and that's what means hey I know I'm in your waters I'm gonna anchor here I'm not going ashore I haven't cleared customs yet you're sort of declaring yourself um, I didn't really have to have it up to sail into the waters but um, it was sort of fun to go forward and that's the first time I'd ever actually hoisted a flag off of the spreader so it was fun to put the Q flag up um, you know I just recently learned that uh, the word quarantine comes from Italian uh, back from the uh, was it the plague where uh, it comes from Italian that means 40 days and 40 days is how long they would lock you up if they suspected you've been exposed to the plague and that uh, in Italian came to be quarantine in English and uh, means many things anyway so I, I threw the uh, Q flag up kept sailing uh, as I hit as I rounded north of Bimini the sun was going down uh, the water beneath me went from like I said eight or nine hundred meters of water down to maybe three uh, and it was it was so funny simultaneously all these things happened the sun fell right to the horizon behind me the water suddenly just lit up turquoise um, as the as the depth fell away and I was in 35 feet of water so what is that uh, 9 10 11 <laughs> 11 or 12 meters of water um, the color just changed in a second and uh, and then two dolphins appeared off the bow of my boat to escort me uh, as I literally crossed out of the depth of the Atlantic onto the Great Bahama Bank it was a spectacular moment no other boats really in view. I'd expected to be a part of a veritable flotilla going east. And although there was contact here and there with vessels along the way, I mean vis visible contact, um, I really was not a part of any sort of fleet sailing east. So um, crossed onto the banks, made my, uh, my one major turn as I headed towards the Berry Islands, which would be, as I check my chart goodness I don't know another uh, 70 or so nautical miles east of um, Bimini um, so I made my course adjustment set myself on the uh, new heading made it the water on the banks was just flat calm stars everywhere the occasional light of another boat here and there coming and going um, and I made way. I was feeling good. Ave was doing good. I felt, I don't know if guilty is the right word. I didn't like that all this was under motor. Uh, but again, the idea was I knew there was nasty weather coming Sunday, and my goal was to get to my destination and get safely anchored in the Bahamas. I had a three-day trip, four days to do it, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I wanted to make sure I was in Nassau and anchored by Saturday because the weather was supposed to come on Sunday. So, Pride be damned, on I went. At 1.11 in the morning, according to my log, the winds finally picked up, shifted a little south, and I was able to get my sails up. This represented the one sort of problem I had on the way over, and I was forward uh, raising the mainsail, had it up, you know, as I've done many times before. It went flawlessly. The uh, You know, I've got the track 
cleaned and lubed and the sail spun right up like it was supposed to. I wrapped the uh, main halyard around the winch right there on the side of the mast a couple of times and uh, went to winch it off just to make sure it was nice and snug. And as I was in the dark of night winching off the main halyard, this is the one winch of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the one winch of eight that I hadn't serviced. Uh, and I had one, two, three, four, five different brands of winches of the seven that I had serviced, four or five. And this was a different one altogether, and each one requires learning how to take it apart um, because they're all different. And I had uh, I had done the other seven and had left this one for another day. So as I was winching off the main halyard under stress, the drum of the winch just dislodged from its base, went flying out under considerable load, and smacked me right in the face, still wound up with the halyard a little bit, thank God, which is, I think, why I still have teeth and a nose, cracked me right in the face at the tip of the nose and, and along my top teeth, and then it uh, proceeded to fall right off the boat into the water. So um, I checked. I There was no blood. None of my teeth seemed to have been missing, although they all felt a little loose on the top row. Everything was under control, so I uh, took the main halyard over to the other side of the mast, winched it off on a different winch. Everything wasn't exactly lined up like it should have been, but it did its job, held the mast up, and we, uh, held the mast up, held the main up, and we kept going. Uh, I, for hours, was checking for blood from the end of my nose or my top lip, and uh, shockingly, there was none. Uh, it, days later now, if I push the end of my nose, my teeth still hurt, but I think it's a little better every day. Um, so we got both sails up and, and kept the motor on. The winds weren't all that great, but they helped. They steadied a ride that didn't really need steadying uh, and uh, took a little bit of the load off the engine. So I was able to ratchet the engine down maybe four or 500 RPMs while still making my five knots average speed, which was my goal. And I was making for Great Harbor Key, which is in the Barry Islands. Um, as I finally got closer to my destination of Great Harbor Key, now I'm going to try to sift forward here in my log. Uh, let's see, that's where I turn my lights on. Oh, I'm going the wrong direction. Uh, I've got Bimini, I've got McHugh flag, and... I've got a weather report. Here we go. So on Thursday morning at 7.01 in the morning, right when I was approaching Great Harbor Key in the Berry Islands, um, the plan had been to make it to Great Harbor Key, anchor there. I would have anchored there for Thursday day and Thursday night, recovered, gotten some good sleep, left Friday morning and made it partway to Nassau, anchor again, somewhere on the east side of the berries, and then Saturday make my way into Nassau. Well, I was entering my 25th hour. I was feeling good. The boat was doing great. I had slept all night on and off. I, this sounds ridiculous, but it's exactly what I did. I would sleep in 10 to 15 minute increments. I never left the cockpit, well, I mean, not to sleep. And I would set an alarm, um, depending on how much traffic was around me, what was going on, how the autopilot was doing, whether or not there were coral heads, you know, within 10 miles of me or what was happening. I would set the alarm for 10 or 15, 17 minutes if I felt really brave. Um, I'm not really sure I did that. 15 might have been the max. And I would doze, wake up to the alarm, check the chart, 
stand up, make a visual, see what was going on, lie back down, set the alarm again, sleep again. I did this all night long and probably through the course of it all, got myself a good five hours sleep. So um, I was feeling good and uh, decided at this point to do my Friday sale, uh, just tack it on to the end of my first day instead of making it a whole different day. So I uh, veered off north to cross over the northern end of the Berry Islands, bypassed Great Harbor Key, uh, sailed up and around the Berries, down southward, down the east side, toward uh, pretty much the opposite side of where I was going to anchor. Ended up anchoring in a spot called Cabbage Key, which is right at Little Harbor Key, still in the Berry Islands. Um, Felt good. Knew I was a little tired, but I was still making good decisions and uh, still felt good about what was happening. And it was a calm day and I was taking advantage of good weather. So I anchored in Cabbage Key. I was the first boat in. A little nervous coming in the cut because, you know, you look at the chart and all it says is dangerous rock here, dangerous rock there, coral head this, shallow water there. So, um, you know, I've done it before. I've certainly anchored in many places where there were a lot of sharp, dangerous things to hit. I haven't hit them yet. Uh, This just seemed different for whatever reason. But we made it in, anchored. I ended up being joined by three other boats, one other sailing vessel and two uh, trawlers that were obviously buddy boating. Um, It was just pitch black, as absolutely calm and flat a night as could be. Uh, Stars everywhere and just dead dead quiet. The water was so quiet, there wasn't even the sound of of waves lapping up against the side of the boat. It was absolutely blissful. So I got there, got the boat back in order, made myself some food, ate well, might have had a couple of glasses of red wine, slept for 10 or 12 hours, and got up Friday morning to do what would have been Saturday's trip and come down to Nassau. And this was probably just the most uh, I don't know, uh, the most by-the-book day of sailing. I cast off just after first light, uneventful. The weather was perfect, 74, 76 degrees maybe, puffy white clouds on a on a perfectly blue sky. The sun was out. Breeze was coming out of the south. I had the sails up the whole way. Still motor sailing. wasn't enough wind, and I wanted to make sure I hit Nassau. Um, again, this is not a, a three-week crossing, and, and my day mattered because I wanted to uh, come down and uh, uh, stake a claim to an anchorage before the really nasty weather came through. And that really nasty weather, for what it's worth, so that you know what I mean when I say that, as the uh, the weather guys that I rely on, Chris Parker, was talking about gale force winds, um, sustained winds in the 35 to 45 knot range, out of the south, veering to west, gusts up into the 60-knot range. Um, So in other words, not much less than I encountered during Hurricane Matthew in Florida. So this was a serious thing, and and again, pride be damned, I wanted to get where I was going. So sails were up the whole way, but uh, motor was on too, uh, humming along at maybe 1,800 RPM, just making sure the sails were helping the engine, the engine was helping the sails, Life was good. Brain in the autopilot was having a good day and kept us right on course. Wasn't having very many uh, Linda Blair exorcist moments. Um, and uh, and we came down. So I came down to Nassau. Nassau was uh, in my uh, sight line for quite a while. I've never been here before. Really didn't know anything about the island. Obviously, what I'd been seeing for the longest time was this 
hideously unattractive Atlantis thing on the north end of the island, which I guess is resort, casino, aquarium. I don't know. I, it's it's pink. It looks like Disney World. I can't stand it. But anyway, here I am. Um, that was uh, uh, in my in my line of sight for quite a long time. Gave me uh, some buildings to make sure that I was holding my course true. Made it down in great time. Was in the harbor in the early afternoon. Called down on the radio. Got you have to call for permission to enter or exit the channel down here. Called in. Gave them my registration, my last port of call, my intended uh, destination. All this. Got permission. Entered the channel. Tied off with the government dock. And uh, real quickly, because I know this show is running long. Um, I was doing this the uh, perhaps more complicated but cheaper way. Most people clear in at marinas. Um, even if you're not staying at the marina, a lot of these marinas you can tie off 25 or 50 bucks. You pay the marina for the short-term luxury of tying off your boat. You clear in through customs right there at the marina. You know, get your get your papers, fly your courtesy flag, go anchor if that's your goal. If you're staying at a marina, you're paying for the marina. Anyway, you clear in there at marina and change flags while you're there. Me, I'm a cheap bastard. Uh, if it costs me... 35 bucks to clear in at a marina in my mind that's a week's worth of food or maybe a couple of bottles of good wine I don't really want to do it so there's a government dock here in Nassau and it was my goal to tie off at the government dock where you can't stay but you can go into the government services building clear both customs and immigration get your papers go back out swap your Q flag for your courtesy flag and go out and anchor and that's exactly what I did so I uh, went I tied off it's, we'll save that story for another day. There were a few moments, might be a couple of scrapes on my mahogany tow rail, but uh, we made it. There was no crashing. Uh, made it, tied off, made it into the building. It took forever because no one apparently does what I do. Ain't that the story of my life? Um, and they just weren't very well prepared for me, even though it's it's a uh, perfectly viable way to clear in. So very nice gentleman helped me. Couldn't find the right books. Couldn't find the right forms. They have sort of a, a bag that has all this stuff in it, but the bag was with one of the customs officials who was out at a marina clearing in the normal people. So he rifled through, found all the forms, got me cleared uh, customs first. While I was sitting there with him, uh, there's a little girl in her crisply pressed school uniform dress that was burgundy in color who'd come in to say hi to him, gave him a hug. And uh, he looked at me and said, that's not mine. She belongs to the woman down the hall. And a uh, girl waved at me, kind of sat in the corner and made chit-chat while I was clearing customs. And uh, when I finished with him, he said, okay, now you have to go down to immigration. He stood up. He was going to walk me down the hall. And then he looked at the girl whose name I either forgot or never learned. And he said, so-and-so, why don't you take Mr. Hurley down the hall? And she said, okay. Stood up, came over. And just held out her hand, took my hand in hers, and led me down the hall to where her mother works in the immigration office. And without exaggeration, that just brief, innocent moment of that little girl just taking my hand to lead me down the hall was the sweetest, sweetest thing and one of the most awesome things that's happened to me in uh, recent time. And a lot of awesome things happened to me. There is such an amazing innocence that we lose in our lives as childhood fades behind us like that Miami skyline faded behind me. So I uh, don't know if it's not true that we don't need to hang on to parts of that. But um, I cleared in, got all my papers, paid my fee, came out, 
gentleman was very excited to look at my boat, couldn't believe I'd done this on my own. Same questions here that I get back in the States. How did you tie out? How do you do this by yourself? How come no one's with you? And uh, But I cleared out, came out, anchored, and here I am in Nassau. I've uh, rode in, checked in, went to the gas station, logged on the internet very briefly before the battery died, uh, let my closest friends and family know I was alive, and uh, here I sit in Nassau. So it is... Uh, I was going to say what day. I don't know what day it is. It is it is Sunday. This is the day that the nasty weather is supposed to be coming a little bit later on. So uh, we're going to roll back into town one last time, see if we can manage to get this show uploaded. Sorry that it ran so long, but it's sort of two episodes in one. Um, I'll wrap up as quickly as possible. Um, thank you for the support. Thanks for listening. Uh, much love to everyone who's following along. There's some photos and uh, a video of me leaving Miami that are on Ave's Facebook page at facebook.com slash sailing.ave. I'm going to try to get a post up at avedelmar.com. So uh, by all means, please go there and uh, drop your email in the blank so that you'll get notified when new posts come up. I'll uh, wrap up uh, for this time from Nassau. In the Bahamas, where I am successfully anchored. Um, thanks for hosting the show, Mike and Boat Radio. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, everyone, be well and be happy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Our aim at Street Invest is to put a trustworthy adult into the lives of street children so that they can support them in creating the most positive paths for their lives in the future. We work around the world, working on the street with the children where they are. For such a large group of children, the amount of funding available is tiny. Really, the funding that keeps organizations like Street Invest going comes from individual donors. Street children are the most abused, neglected, violated children, yet they are also the most resourceful, responsive and resilient children that we could have the honour of working with. For more information or to make a donation, visit streetinvest.org. Ah, this is Edward Smith um, from OPA Racing. This is Ken Little, president of Glock Performance Boat Challenge. Hi, this is Frank Pillsbury with Marine Max and the DFW International Boat Show in Dallas, Texas. We explore all kinds of boating topics on Bob's No Wake Zone Boating Radio Show. Hi, I'm Captain Bob May. We get underway, making way, Saturday evenings here on Boat Radio. This is Heather Lohe, director of membership for Boat US. Thanks for listening to Bob's No Wake Zone. Boating Radio Show.